Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast and we are back with a bonus summer break episode focused specifically on Formula 2. I am your host, Team Hours Daily, and I am joined as always by the laurel to my hardy, Jesse Billington. How are you? I'm very well this evening. I've had a bit of a busy day, um, spent a lot of it trawling classified sites looking for cheap classic cars, and, but yeah, all, all is well in my world. It's a hard life for you sometimes, isn't it? It is. My Ferrari drive next week has been cancelled and instead they've given me a Delta Integrale Evolution 1, so I'm really upset about that. On the upside though, we are not alone and this should cheer you up sufficiently and be even better than a Ferrari in a lot of ways because we're joined by a friend of the podcast and F2 fanatic, Jacob Phillips. How are you, Jacob? I can't promise that listeners at home are as quick as a Ferrari, but I am very much glad to be part of the podcast again today. And I've spent today making a few notes here on all the drivers that we're going to cover in this episode. So I'm very much looking forward to this episode. Yes, as Jacob says there, we're going to go through the entire Formula 2 2022 grid and examine how each of the drivers have been doing in their careers so far, and specifically this season, and then brutally decide which of the drivers we think will actually make it into Formula 1. And not just in the next couple of years, just full stop. And that is inevitably going to involve our pesky predictions, which we are all quite famous for at this point. So let's just get straight into it, I think, and let the axes fall, a la Game of Thrones, as you may have in the title of this episode, or not, and it's going to be seen like a completely random reference. So we're going to start off in first place in the championship at the moment, Felipe Drogovic, who, the facts I've got about him, because I've gone through all of the drivers, and I've gone and put on their best results or results of the season so far, and being in first place, it's not too surprising that he's got a couple of wins under his belt, which feature race-wise, he's won in Jeddah, he won in Barcelona, and he won in Monaco, and he's also got one sprint race win in Barcelona to his name. And interestingly, not having won since Monaco, he is still at the top of the standings, but that is mainly because he keeps getting those very handy top five, top eight finishes, which, as everyone likes to say in Formula 2, shows that consistency is key, and it has been so consistent that it's stuck him at the top of the, the championship standings by quite a margin, although that margin is dropping. So, first of all, Jacob, Felipe Drogovic, third year in Formula 2, so we've probably been watching him for most of his F2 career at this point. What are your thoughts on him, man? I am going to start off by saying simply, quite simply, I love Felipe Drogovic. He is an absolutely class driver. As you said, he's been in Formula Three for three, Formula Two, sorry, for three years now. So obviously, he's one of the most experienced, or probably one of the well, he's definitely one of the most experienced drivers on the grid. Anyway, and as you said, though, he's got wins in Jeddah, Barcelona, Monaco, or obviously no easy places to win, and obviously a double in Barcelona, which you know is a sign of a of a of a great driver and and a champion in waiting, if you like. But the one thing that we'll obviously cover quite a lot on this podcast with Formula Two is he simply he's going to find it harder to get to F1 because you know he doesn't have an academy affiliation with one of the bigger F1 teams, and that will come as a bit of a problem. So. But he's certainly, you know, he's he's uh, marked everyone's card in the Formula One paddock. He's certainly shown what he's capable of. But will he be snapped up? You know, is there a seat at Williams potentially lined up for him? I hope. But will money play a factor in as well? I know he doesn't have many sponsors like a few of the other drivers down the list I'm looking at now have. But, you know, he certainly proved his worth this year. And I hopefully he goes on to win the title. Although the gap is closing to poor share, which we'll cover next. But yes, I do like Drogovic quite a lot. And he would be a very worthy champion if he wins come Abu Dhabi. 
Jacob mentioning Barcelona there, Jesse, and he won both a sprint race and a feature there race there with an inspired tyre strategy that he tried repeating in Budapest recently, which, if you've listened to our review episode of that, didn't quite go to plan as well as he wanted that to, and it was not the repeat that he was hoping for. A chink in his arm, perhaps, or just a rare mistake instead? And do we think that he can continue to keep that gap up and... Ultimately, would it be better for him to win the Formula 2 Championship this year or for him to lose it? I think it'd definitely be best for him to at least win it. He'll at least then get to walk away from Formula 2 regardless of what he does, knowing he's won a Formula 2 Championship. I think when it comes down to that Baku drive, it's a really hard circuit to try and predict how it's going to... Budapest. Budapest, even. Um, It's a tricky one to try and predict how it goes with degradation Budapest and Baku for the lack of things one of them is quite low deg one of them is quite high deg so the weird thing is you either struggle to turn tyres on or they get obliterated very fast so I think trying to pull out especially at Budapest a a slightly different tyre strategy didn't really play into his hands he pitted quite early hoped to go long and it just didn't balance the question of whether he'll make it to F1 is an overarching one Uh, I think he will Yes or no? <laughs> I think he might be one of those one-year names that we see at Williams. I think that's what I'm, that's the only thing I'm thinking of. I can't see him popping up at Alpine, weirdly. But it, it's, it's frustrating because before when this week, which is when we're recording you, which when you listen to this, it'll be probably a couple of weeks ago. This is during the week where Alonso announced that he was moving to Aston Martin. And before any of that nonsense came about, we would have thought that the logical place he would have gone would maybe be there, seeing as they're interested in having a driver academy, but don't really have one outside of Jess Hawkins, who is a little way off, considering she's not been in Formula 3 or Formula 2 yet. And an F2 champion who seems like a little bit of an outside choice due to lack of sponsors and Lawrence Stroll just being able to throw money at anything seemed like a not a guarantee because it hasn't been as we've seen but it seems weird that we're putting him for Williams now and that's the only place we can kind of predict he would go other than IndyCar but that's not in Formula 1 so it kind of means no but as you say he can leave with his head held high potentially and then just say you know what if, uh, if it wasn't for that dust, dastardly Alonso I may have, may have been able may have been a contender so this is the thing. William, would Williams get rid of Latifi for one year to basically give Sargent an extra chance in F2 to hone his skills and take Latifi money and then build a good car for Sergeant Albon 2024? Or would they put in Drugovic and see what he does? It's one of those things of do you just bring in a driver for one year, see what they do and then get rid of them for one of their academy drivers? Could potentially keep him in reserve keep then. Keep him as reserve and driver. He can go off and do a yeah. few other things because you never know. Maybe Albon has signed a multi-year deal with him now, but as we know, things can change very quickly in Formula 1 and multi-year deals don't necessarily mean half as much as they used to. No. and yeah, I think Drugovic falls into this weird sort of no-man's land. Again, this lack of attachment to any major team means that not only is it tricky to predict, it means the whole world's his oyster. He could go off to any racing series if he comes out of this as an F2 champ and be regarded as a very high-class driver. But equally, surely the goal is to get into Formula 1 and he doesn't really have the appropriate links to get into any of them at the moment. As far as we're aware, there could be a huge amount of secretive dealing where he could go into that Alpine seat that potentially is not going to be filled by Piastri as Piastri goes to McLaren to replace Danny Ricciardo, but Danny Ricciardo is possibly going back to Alpine. We don't know at this point in time, so it's so tricky to predict. 
I'm going to push both of you then. Jacob, is Felipe Drogovic going to make it into F1, yes or no? And if so, which team? I'm going to have to say, sadly, I just can't see it due to the lack of links that we've previously mentioned. So, no, he's not going to make it, and I don't think he ever will. Because I think, you know, he'll fall into the Kalamailot bracket, he'll just be forgotten about and move to IndyCar, and that will be that for Drogovic, I think. Jesse? I'm going to be optimistic for him. He'll do a year at Williams and then follow Ilot over to uh, IndyCar. I think that's the way it's going to be. I'm going to make a bold prediction and say that as part of Alonso's new contract, it has it involves getting rid of Stroll as his teammate and you bring in an F2 champion or a driver of his choice and he suddenly sees the light and quite likes Drogovic and redeems his move to Aston Martin this way. It's a long shot, but I feel like with Drogovic we might as well take it. Yeah, Drogovic does like the long shot. I mean, speaking of someone who's almost not a sort of antithesis strategy-wise, Teo Porcher, he's second on the list that we're working through. Feature race win in Bahrain, Imola and Budapest. We know the guy is good in the car. Where's he going to end up? I think I'm right in saying he's got Alfa Romeo Sauber ties. Yes, he's the pretty much only driver in their driver academy kind of a la Mercedes in terms of they just focus on one or two people maximum and hope that they can turn them into a good driver if they're not already. And Jacob, you will remember Teo Pochef from his Formula 3 days and impressing quite a bit there. And he seemed to have turned into a little bit of what we would probably now call a Mick Schumacher in terms of needing two seasons to build himself up before he can make a proper campaign for it. But Alfa Romeo seems like the logical place for him. I think we can all agree on that one. I just... If Joe wasn't doing as well as he is, then we could maybe talk about next year. But it's this awkward thing again, then if Porcher does beat Drogovic for the championship, he then cannot return to Formula 2. Does he then have to do what Piastri's been doing this year and just watch from the sidelines as a reserve driver for Alpha and then hope that Joe has a terrible 2023 and then so he can be in Alpha Romeo in 2024? Because if Joe does really well, then... It's the same problem we have with Drogovic and potentially other people on this list. Where do you put them then? You know, for the, for the time being, like you say, he's in the uh, Alfa Romeo Sauber Academy. So, but I think the rumour is to be believed that Joe will get one more year. I think he's improved since the start of the season. Only got five points, but he has been quite unlucky with reliability as well. So I think for this year, or for next year, should I say, I don't know if we're going to see him there. And there's no other space I could see him on the grid. But... You know, if Joe continues to impress, will he? Uh, will Alpine? Obviously, he left the Alpine Academy, but will they think about signing him back up? But yeah, I think that he's done really well this season, as you've said. There, three feature race wins, a second place in Monaco as well, and he uh, did really well there last year as well. And he came second in Formula Three in 2020, and he actually won a couple of Junior Series titles as well in 2017 and 2018. So he's certainly got the pedigree. And you know, we've still got four. What is it? Four races left, so eight races in total before we get to Abu Dhabi. So, yeah, he's still got a shot of the title, and I wouldn't be surprised with the talent that we've seen this season if he pushes Drogovic all the way and maybe ultimately wins it as well. Jesse, the only thing that most of the drivers, especially Drogovic, that Porcher has on his side that they don't is that he's still only about 12 years old. And one or two years away, if he does win F2 title this year, or even if he wins it next year and can't come in 24 it might not be as much of the end of the world for him as it would be for others because well, he could go off to IndyCar, DTM or something as long as he's still racing 
and still come back in 2025 or 2026 and you still wouldn't be that old in the grand scheme of things for F1. Yeah, age is very much on Teo Porcher's side. He is, like you said, sort of a, a younger one on the grid. Um, he doesn't look it particularly, but again, he is comparatively quite he re- young. He reminds me a bit of Jim Carrey from, well, true, he's only Jim Carrey film. He just has that kind of... I hit The photo they use of him when they do the lining up of the grids on Formula 2 does very much remind me of just... Just Jim Carrey. Yeah, I can see that a little bit. And yeah, the age thing I don't think will be too much of a problem because, yeah, he is young. He won't hit his peak before he even gets into F1. Is he likely to get into Formula 1? Possibly. I mean, there is an Alpine seat open. Obviously, Joe had links to the Alpine Driver Academy. That if Danny Rick doesn't fill the seat with Piastri doing whatever Piastri does, if Piastri doesn't fill it himself... Potentially, with Joe on sort of a short-term contract at Alfa Romeo, we could see him go to the team he was destined to go to. And we see Porchev get his seat at Sauber Alfa Romeo. And that wouldn't be too big a loss. Obviously, both drivers would be going to decent teams, teams that are performing well on the grid at the moment. Whether they will be next year is a different matter. But it's there's a lot of options open for Teo Porcher, and there's I think the world is still very much an open place for him there is a lot for him left to explore and if he doesn't win F2 this season no big whoop he can contest it next year and almost certainly next year looking at the names that are likely to still be at the top of the list he'll have a pretty good shot at it I mean he and Drugovic have for a large part were running away with the season until about the midpoint when things started to get very F2 all of a sudden but so are we thinking then are we all in agreement he is going to make it to F1, but not before 2024? Or not before 2025? What do we think? Which one? I'm going to push you for first, Jesse, whilst, whilst you're there. He will definitely make it into F1. I would be surprised if he makes it in for 2023. That's a big call. 2024 is probably quite likely for Teo Chair to appear in an F1 car beyond an FP1 seat. That's what I'll say. Jacob? He will be in an F1 seat by 2025, but maybe that isn't so bold. Next season, I can't see it with Joe still being there, but with this merry-go-round of Formula 1 at the moment, I'm sure there's going to be loads more announcements, so who knows? I'm trying to put the pieces together with the jigsaw. So much movement this week that, you know, who knows who's going where, but I'd say by 2025, 2024, probably a bit more realistic, and I'd hoped he would be there by that point, given his talent as well. Next year, probably not. Like we say, time is on his side, and... One other driver who kind of has a bit of time on his side is kind of that middle ground between Table Chair and Felipe Drogovic, and possibly the last person on this entire list that will probably be nice to, is Logan Sargent. He's got a feature race win in Silverstone in Austria, and as Jesse was alluding to earlier, it's he kind of came into his own and turned Formula 2 back into Formula 2, just when it needed it the most, and he's just kind of come out of nowhere. I mean, not out of nowhere as such, but... Jacob and I know him from his Formula 3 days, and he was impressive there. I do remember the final race of the 2020 season in Mugello, where he was just uh, causing a little bit of, not not chaos as such, but just kind of quietly working his way through the pack and just observing the fight that uh, Piastri and was having for, for the F3 title. And American driver, at a time where Formula 1 is very, very popular in America and keeps seeming to build on that, and where Andretti are interested, has potentially looking for an American driver to reverse the fortunes of last year and build on this momentum. And when you've got the likes of Caitlin Jenner, also American, who has a team in W Series, showing that it's other people outside of Haas that are very much interested in creating a team in a feeder series and building the path up to F1, it's... 
surely got to be a certainty that he makes it to F1. And again, he is part of the Williams Driver Academy. The only question surely is when, Jacob. Yeah, um, I'm going to say it's a question of when as well. So I agree with you there. And uh, yeah, he first came to our attention, Timo, didn't he, in 2020 in the uh, COVID-affected F3 season, the season that ignited my love, by the way, for Formula 3. But that is another story for another day, as I'm sure a lot of the viewers are aware. But yes, Logan Sargent, as you said, is an American driver in a time where you know F1 in America is growing exponentially. We now have, what's, what, three races? And who knows, they'll probably add more much to my disappointment, but F1 could really do with an American driver on the grid. I think the last one was Alexander Rossi, wasn't it, in 2015? I think he had... Yeah, back in 20, yeah. I think he appeared at the American Grand Prix and maybe one more and a couple of FP1s, and before that was Scott Speed in 2007. That certainly uh, goes back a bit. So he's got time on his side. He's got an FP1 appearance in Austin itself at the end of the season. He is a very talented driver, as we know. He did fall off a little bit, or not fell off a little bit, but 2021, last year, he was still in F3, wasn't he? In not quite as a a good seat, but he made some impressive performances. And I was kind of worried after that Premier season that he was going to sort of, you know, fall off the map and be forgotten about. But this season, he's sort of come from nowhere. He's up to third in the standings. And the way that F2's going at the moment, and the other two are sort of not picking up the results they were picking up at the start of the season. He's a real shot at the title. But my worry is if he does win the title this season, as we know and we'll discuss, us you know quite a lot in this podcast he won't be able to appear in f2 next season and that might be a bit of a problem because is it too early for him to go to f1 here i've written down yes it is i don't know if it is maybe best for him so maybe one more season win the title next year and then he'll be in the williams seat for 2024 but as we know albon is still there next year and signed a multi-year deal but latifi is quickly being ushered out the door so who knows so maybe that's where Dragovic comes in but that's another point. But yeah, I think he will be in F1 at some point. Hopefully, actually, next year. I'd like to see him mature one more year in F2. Well, as we know, Jesse, Latifi's going to be moving to Alpine. So there'll be a seat free at Williams there. And then if Logan Sargent can get even to second place and beat Teo Porcher, then that should be a fun championship theoretically for, for next year as Porcher is not used to... I would say he wouldn't mind as much if he was beaten by Drogovic because there is a vast amount more of experience there. But if it was Logan Sargent, I feel like that would annoy him slightly, even if it is just for second place. So seeing those two butt heads next year for the entire F2 season could be quite something and a great reason to not have either of them in F1 next year. And again, allow them to mature a bit more so that when they do come into F1, they can be fully prepared for it. And Williams seems like the only logical place for him unless Haas decide to do something wacky in the meantime and put him in there instead of Mick or if Kevin decides, you know what, sod it, I should have just stayed out the first time. Yeah, Williams is definitely the stronger call to do something with Sargent. I think definitely he needs another year just to sort of finish baking and proving in F2. That would definitely go a long way. I think my the idea I sort of floated with Drugovic of Drugovic being almost a seat ball before him at Williams would be the most sound idea. Drugovic gets a year at Williams and then he's sort of immediately put into reserve driver role, does another series alongside, perhaps does a bit of Formula E to keep his hand in while then uh, Sergeant takes over in the big F1 seat. And I think that makes the most sense. Again, on a business side, Formula One's big presence in America. Next year, we're going to see Vegas, Cota and Miami on the calendar. Plus more if God knows who decides to host a racetrack. There's definitely a chance across next season to have him have at least one or two FP1 drives. And again, just to get him acquainted with F1 cars and sort of follow the season along a lot closer with that sort of 
Williams Driver Academy set up. This is the first time they've had in a quite a while one of their drivers actually get to the top of it. Obviously, we've seen sort of who they had previously. Um, Jamie Chadwick, obviously not quite close enough. And um, Dan Tictum, who's sort of drifted away a bit. The less the said about him, the better from, from what Yes, I yeah, I was trying to think of his actual name, but... Yeah, all I could get was the uh, bit where you swap around the first bits of both names to create a slightly different name. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. this is the first time Williams have actually had their driver academy produce someone who's close to getting into F1, so it'll be interesting to see how they react and deal with it. But with regards to Logan Sargent getting into Formula 1, almost a certainty. Likely to be with Williams, at least for a season, and then potentially especially if we see Andretti come into the sport with their own team. Uh, obviously, Porsche and Audi are currently sort of circling the F1 water like sort of hungry sharks at the moment. There's a deal between Porsche and Red Bull at the moment, whether or not that means Audi will be looking to go somewhere else. Obviously, Porsche and Audi both owned by Volkswagen. I can't see Volkswagen putting money into two separate teams, unless that's very good spread betting, in which case we could see one of them at a different team or an alternate 11th team enter the field. Andretti Audi would be quite interesting. And Sergeant to Williams, then I think we're all agreed on that one, and it's probably the only certain thing that we can say in this entire podcast, on a positive note anyway, because this is kind of where it starts getting into Game of Thrones territory. Because Jacob, Jahan Deruvelot, he's finished second five times this year, interestingly, all in sprint races, and he's one of these names where We've been watching F2 for a few years now, and as nice as it is to be able to recognise names so that we have less new learning to do, it doesn't usually bode well if we can remember your name after so long. Is he kind of already run out of time for F1? Yeah, we're into that bit of the podcast where our axes come out, we start swinging, it gets a bit spicy because a few names are going to be absolutely dumped upon. So, Jayhan Deruvla, he has been in F2 now for a few years, and I think his time has already gone. But he, you know, he started off with a, you know, good, good platform with the Red Bull Academy program. We know how much that they've been, you know, fruitful in the years of giving seats to Alvatari up to Red Bull. Of course, Max Verstappen's a world champion and Vettel as well. But I think Deruvla is, yeah, is, it's just not, he's just not proved his worth this year so much. You know, he's finished second five times, albeit in sprint races. He's not really shown his hand where the big points are handed out on Sundays. He's in a Prima, which normally means you're going to get the championship right, and he's been nowhere near. Although Prima aren't doing so well this year, but yeah, he hasn't really impressed to be honest and with names further down the list that we'll mention later in the Red Bull Academy itself and there, there are seats available Alpha Tari for sure but I don't really think he's got it cut out to be honest so I'm going to say Jay Hanzeruvla won't be making it to F1 quite simply Is the McLaren test drive that he did recently the closest he's going to get to F1 Jesse? I feel it probably is we might see him prop up at like classic F1 events and stuff Monaco historic wouldn't be surprised there oh, so That doesn't count for making it to F1 in this podcast <laughs> his future isn't within Formula 1 and he's a great driver don't get me wrong it's like we've said previously he's a good driver but he's not great and in F1 you need you need to be great there's that few percent at the top end that he's just not quite achieving and there's just something that isn't there I don't know whether he's never had the right car or whether it's simply just down to him unable to properly perform but yeah I think expecting him to get into Formula 1 you're lining yourself up for a bit of a disappointment I'm going to say he's most likely going to be off to either Formula E or WEC. Formula E? I could see either of those, actually, now that I, I thought about that for more than two seconds there. 
Deruvula screams of Formula E for me, so yeah, I think he'll be in Formula E, to be honest. <laughs> so Liam Lawson is next up on the list, who, amusingly, fifth place in the championship behind Deruvula, but he has two more wins to his name, both also in sprint races in Jeddah and Le Castellet, respectively. After the debacle that was Yuri Vips that we'll get to later, he now seems the next logical choice to go to Alpha Tauri at some point. Again, the question is when. But he's also the Red Bull uh, reserve driver now, but Vips has also been cast aside for that for fairly good reason. So if we're to believe that Gasly and Sonoda are staying for 2023, and if by the time this podcast comes out nothing wacky has happened there, Lawson for 2024 for Alpha do we think? Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, there is going to be a competition. There's a couple of more names down the list, but I think that Gaz- Gasly's definitely signed for 2023, although, like you say, something wacky could happen, so who knows, maybe an Alpine, Alpine appearance or... Who knows? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say any more because too much has already gone on this week that we'll go on off in tangents. As you know, it's a good thing we like to do on this podcast. But Liam Lawson, 2024, I think will be his best opportunity. But who knows? Sonoda's not signed yet. Sonoda's not had the best of years. In fact, he's hungry. He was fairly terrible, to be honest. And he's finished bottom of the. Uh, I think he's finished last in two or three races this year, and that was you know after retirement. So he's really not done that well. But um. I see. Red Bull and Toro Rosso, Jesse in 2019, it was just the butchery was all over the place. So, Iwa, not Iwasa, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Sonoda even could be technically signed for 2023, but come Spain or Monaco, might just find himself out of a seat and just not impress Marco, and then Lawson's in straight away there. So, 2024, but with the possibility of 2023? Yeah, 2023 is a fairly safe bet. If Lawson can round out the F2 season strong, just get a load more points finishes, really hold on to at least fifth place. If he beats Daruvla, all the better for it, because it will really put him into sort of a good seat and a good position when next year, if he obviously doesn't go back to F2 and Red Bull, Red Bull Alpha Tauri says, stick with us. We'll see what happens halfway through the season. Save him having to shill out for half an F2 season. That way they've got him almost unattached. I won't be surprised if we don't see him return to F2 as almost like a precursor to Red Bull saying, let's see what, what's happening around Baku or around Spa and uh, then make some swaps. I don't know where the halfway point statistically falls next season. I haven't seen the full F1 calendar yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if we get to a turning point where potentially another team drops a driver, Gasly makes a move for it, or Sonoda gets dropped. Either way, he's likely to head to AlphaTauri halfway through 2023, almost certainly 2024. Which is good news in regards, because I'm really interested to see what Yuki Sonoda does when he opens up this restaurant and he keeps sort of prattling on about. I do think that is definitely worth a visit at some point when that does indeed happen. The next driver on the list is where things kind of get complicated, because I think I'm right in saying here that we are all in agreement on that we like Jack Doohan. He's won two sprint races this year so far in Silverstone Budapest. It's his first season in F2. Although he did have a couple of races at the tail end of last season after he finished up his F3 campaign and was quite impressive, all things considered. Uh, Alpine Driver Academy, but again, with Ocon being there for such a bloody long time, potentially, it limits him immensely because un- unless it's Ricardo who goes there, and he may already have done by the time this comes out, than any other driver I could see on a one-year contract because 
it would just make more sense for Alpine to keep their options open. So would then that mean doing for 2024 then? Because again, like we say, having two seasons is probably the optimal amount to have in Formula 2 before making the step up to F1. If you're staying there a bit longer, you either need to win it in your third season, like it looks like Drogovic will, or chances are you've overstayed your welcome and should probably get on your bike. So what do we think, Jacob? Yep, he's an absolutely likable character. He's won two races, as you said. He's got two pole positions as well. And he had a, he helped, was it Trident last year, win the F3 title above Prima, which is a huge shock in itself. I think it was it was definitely mm. definitely Trident, wasn't it, team? I'm getting that right. Right, definitely Trident. So, yeah, he's got Alpine backing, which is obviously always good to have. And he's now, now Piastri's sort of, you know, given up the ghost in Alpine and told them to sod off. He's the uh, sort of the next in line. He's the top Alpine protégé, if you like. So, actually, I, I was going along with the same things that you were thinking there, team, actually. You know, one year for Ricardo. I think Ricardo is coming to the end of his F1 career, quite sadly for many people. And myself, I very much love Ricardo. But, you know, though, I think one year would suit him. So, they give him a year and they'd replace him like for like with another Aussie and Jack Doohan going there. And who knows? If he wins F2 next year, he'd certainly be a shoe-in. So, I would say if he continues in the trajectory that he does, you know, remembering it's only his first season in F2, that we could potentially definitely see him in F1 maybe next year maybe not i don't think sorry not next year 2024 sorry 2025 but you never know with the way things happening they might have to promote him if alpine have got no other options yeah and jesse if ricardo does impress if he is indeed with alpine and they decide to give him an extra year in 2024 waiting another year to make an f1 debut in 2025 doing wouldn't be the worst thing in the world either there are plenty of other things he could do for a year while still getting fp1 practice sessions in there and watching everything ricardo and ocon would do which two great drivers to kind of learn from because both would be very experienced by that point. And racing is in his family. I mean, granted, different kind of racing, but it's all important stuff. So it, it's kind of 2025 would potentially be on the bubble, but at the same time, once you're in, it kind of it's harder to get chucked out than it is to, to get in in the first place unless you're a Red Bull driver. Yeah, I think he's definitely making it to F1 Jack Doohan I couldn't say when or for how long I think when wise it's a case of he'll probably do another season of, F, of F2 I think he just needs that little bit extra time just to prove it get used to the next tier up of single season racing because it's a big jump from F3 to F2 and then another big jump from F2 to F1 so at least get your feet under the table at F2 then make the step I wouldn't be surprised if we see him do a third season of F2 if he doesn't win next year just so he's keeping his finger in the racing but still attached to the Alpine Driver Academy while Danny Rick finishes up a sort of another season at Alpine or something just so he's where he can win the world championship and then leave for Alain Nico Rosberg yeah something along those lines where it just means that Alpine can keep doing hot the coals and ready to go so as soon as Danny Rick vacates the seat they can pull doing and go Okay, you didn't win it in your third season. Who cares? We know you're good. You're up against tough competition. Get in the Alpine. Go do stuff in F1. Or if he does win it, hooray, they've got an F2 champ they can stick in. If he does win F2 next season, in which case they'll just have to have him floating around their paddock bringing Espan Ocon coffees. But again, that's not going to be any waste of time because by that point, Ocon joined F1 in, what, 2016? So that'll be like his eighth year in Formula One at this point. So he'll have a lot of experience to sort of talk about and divulge. Obviously, Ocon's had links with Mercedes, with Aston Martin Racing Point, now with Alpine. He knows a lot about the grid, the drivers, the teams, the principals. There's a lot of information that he can divulge and would be a worthwhile person almost having to spend a year's sabbatical with. So, yeah, Dune's getting to F1. 
most likely going to be 2024, 2025. You're mentioning Mercedes there. Jacob, we're on to the curious case of Frederick Vesti, who has one sprint race win to his name from Baku, which was quite a nice win for him and kind of the confidence booster we all needed from him to make sure that he wasn't fizzling out. Mercedes junior driver, like I say, and there's a team that doesn't look like he's going to change his driver lineup anytime soon. Links to Williams, links to Aston Martin, but again, it's still a way off. And this is his second season in Formula 2, I want to say. Um, it's his second season. Or is it his, or is it first? No, it's his second, second season because he, he was fight, he was messing around in F3 in Mugello when he was just giving Piastri a bit of a, a, bit of a run, even though he didn't need to. And then he went up to F2, yes. I think. So he's... In an interest, he's getting very close to the bubble though because it'll be his third season next year because he's not going to win it this year barring some mind-boggling F2 madness. And if he doesn't become a championship contender then Mercedes, what do they do with him? Do they chuck him into Formula E? But at that point they don't have a team there already for 2024 unless they do an immediate U-turn. And so it's kind of this no-man's land again a little bit like Drogovic. So I'm going to say something bold here, which I know it's taken me this long to say something bold, it's surprising, but it's a case of just because I like the driver doesn't mean that translates to getting enough one seat, and I think as nice as Vesti is, I don't see it happening at the moment. No, not at the moment, but it all depends what happens with Mercedes plans down the line. And Mercedes are actually, you know, compared to all the other teams, Red Bull and Alpine have huge academies. Mercedes have never really had a huge presence in sort of the F2 driver academy scene. But when they do back a driver, like they've backed George Russell, and we've seen what he's gone on to do, obviously his fantastic pole position last time in Budapest, it means you are a really good driver. So, And the whisperings around the paddock, is there's a lot of people behind Vettel. I know Toto Wolff is quite impressed with what he's seen as well, but... With no, you know, obviously they don't have, like Red Bull do, they don't have a junior team, which I thought Mercedes always missed a trick. They've got enough money. Why have they never had a junior team? Um, but, yeah, he's a nice guy, but, you know, he's got to start, well, he's, he's seventh this year. He's doing okay, but next year, like you say, will be his third year. And if he doesn't start to make his way towards the title, and I don't really see where he goes. Obviously, Hamilton, who knows how long he could stay there. He could do an Alonso and be here. Well, well, apparently, he's got to get to 400 races, so he's there for a good well, while. That's, yeah. another, that's another four years, <laughs> but knowing how many races F1 do it, yeah, that can only take a couple of years now. Well, that's true. If Jesse gets his wish for a 35 billion race calendar, well, then uh, be a whole I, lot I, I want 52 races a year. But I don't think that's going to be possible or popular. But um, God, the podcast would be exhausting if we had fifty-two races a year. Several rotating guests. Um, does Vesti get to F1? I'm going to say no because there's going to be Norris uh, wanting that seat. There's going to be other drivers that Mercedes will just pick up before Vesti. I think he's good, but he's not what Mercedes will want. He's not. He's not a Russell, so the, the, he won't. He won't be an F one. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of drivers after that Mercedes seat when Hamilton bows out after probably end of this season, end of next season. I should. I think we could be in the rather scary I situation. Of, I think we're going to be a bit longer than that. You reckon? Oh, I don't know. I reckon he'll. He'll go. So. As long as he, I think he's got at least three years left. Okay. If he wins it, ne- if he wins it next year, I think he might honestly give up the ghost. But yeah, if he wins it next year, what he'll go on a high, do an absolute an absolute Hamilton smash think, the championship uh, and leave. I reckon we want he w- he won't do a Vettel or an Alonso and stick around and go to teams that are just on the way down. Oh no, I think he'll definitely leave properly once he's done yeah. with Mercedes. He wouldn't go to another team, but I don't see him leaving until he's see 
even if Mercedes like this year they don't have they didn't have at the beginning of the year now it's more so the best car but he still relishes that challenge of okay we've got something new here so as long as that's still with Mercedes and it wouldn't be doing an Alonso and going to Aston Martin and thinking oh this will be easy <laughs> then... Hamilton's tunes tunes really changed I think from January he was kind of a bit downbeat obviously after the whole Abu Dhabi fiasco but you know he's he's positive he's vibing really well with the team the messages after the race you know I think he's really behind sort of where they've come from at the start of the season so He's certainly staying there longer in my mind than he would have done if I, if you'd asked me in January. But there's obviously a few names that we can chuck at the Mercedes seat as well. Ocon maybe, but I mean we're going off tangent here. But yeah, yes. I mean you, Vesti won't be an F one. Yeah, Vesti won't be an F one. I mean you look at the other drivers that have got Mercedes links or their eyes on the seat. Obviously Norris when he finishes his McLaren contract, his contract expires at the same time that Ocon's does at Alpine. So both of those. Both of them will come out of their long-term contracts with teams that will have built them up to be brilliant drivers at probably about the time that Lewis Hamilton stepped back from Mercedes in 2024, 2025, things 2024. Um, and all of a sudden, your Mercedes with George Russell in one seat and looking at Lando Norris and Esteban Ocon and thinking, oh, which one do I pick? Do I pick Lando Norris? Well, that's where you that's where you go with the third option, choose Mick Schumacher. <sighs> do you? I don't know. Mick Schumacher would be at Ferrari by the moment. If for no other if for no other dominating well, Carlos Sainz, I don't know if that would be a good idea at this point. I think he, given given Ferrari, unless they can prove themselves again, but um, I just like the symmetry of Hamilton replaces Schumacher and Schumacher replaces Hamilton. It'd be nice symmetry. Alonso has never raced for Mercedes, so I'm sure he'll be, uh, he'll be there. <laughs> He's still got his Infinity Gauntlet teams to finish off. Yeah. Uh, oh, no. you need to complete but the if you're if you're Toto Wolff and you're faced with you've got George Russell do you go for potential Nico Rosberg championship goes into auto destruct Lando Norris as the two battle for a championship or you do go basically Valtteri Bottas Esteban Ocon <laughs> I love Esty don't get me wrong but I can see him falling into that slot a little too well and that's I mean, the, there's, a, there's a chat for another day, I think, which F1 drivers are actually going to win a championship. There's definitely a chat for another day. But yeah, I don't think... that It's already... We've already got two drivers on the grid that are likely still going to be around at the point that Hamilton leaves, plus other drivers that will have sort of at the bottom end of the grid currently. I don't think there's space for Frederick Vesti. And I would like to see Mercedes come back to something like WEC with a proper LMP car, or with another hypercars, isn't it? Vesti would be interesting for that, I think, definitely. Because I think it would fall really within his remit. He's a sort of he's got that slightly more languid driving style that's befitting of Weck and endurance racing. So I'd like so to see again, him. not not to go off too much on a tangent here one more time before we move on. But I mean, Jacob, you remember Lorenzo Colombo from Formula Three, and he has not progressed from there obviously into Formula Two, but he has gone to Weck, and he's doing incredibly well there, and they're winning the championship there at the moment, and he's doing tremendously well. Yeah, so I think there's always the scope for drivers who don't make it to F1. Obviously, that's the pinnacle. That's what they probably dream about as a youngster. But there are certainly avenues where you can go and win championships and put yourself back on the map. So it's something certainly that you shouldn't count out. But yeah, sadly, I don't think. And obviously, like you say, there's no F Formula E program as well. So Mercedes need a presence elsewhere. Come on, Mercedes, up your game. Upping their game this season, though, Jesse, arguably your favourite driver of recent times. Ayuma Iwasa, feature race winner in the Castellet, which I'm glad I wasn't wearing headphones for when I got your text because it would have probably exploded my mind. Um, do you think he's going to make it to F1? I think he's going to get to F1. I mean, he's probably going to take another season, perhaps a third season in F2, just so Red Bull can properly finesse him. I think Red Bull might have figured, might by that point have figured out what to do with the Driver Academy, which is 
take a bit of time and don't rush the poor bugger. Because while it might have worked with Verstappen, he's a bit of a one-off and a very special character in that regard. I, yeah, I think with Awasa, they might take a bit more time and just sort of properly hone him as a driver. Because I think they've, they've seen what they did with Sonoda, where they pretty much sort of whistle-stopped him through and then put him into F1 and went, ooh, you look a bit underprepared. Oh, that's on us. Sonoda could have done with another year in it, considering he came third, I think, overall in the championship of F2 before he came into F1. So it was kind of, I can understand, but maybe it's not perfect yet. So maybe if he does replace Sonoda, we'll just uh, cut to Sonoda in his uh, in his Japanese restaurant, going, muttering and looking to Akademi. Could him, but equally, if you listen to the Talking Towery podcast, um, brilliant podcast with the Avatari boys, and I honestly don't think Sonoda would be upset if he stopped doing F1 and started up his restaurant because he also wants to start up a fashion line. So, I mean, that guy's got options that he'd be happy to do outside of F1. So it's kind of echoes David Coulthard's statements of he will never win a world championship and just because maybe his heart's just not in it and he's treating it more like Kimi was towards the end of this is just a hobby for me. Yeah, I think Sonoda is the next Kimi Raikkonen in that regard. Like... Equally, the surprising amount of times he mentions needing to go to the toilet as well. But yeah, Iwasa, will he get to F1? I think he will. How long he'll be in F1 is a very different question. That depends how good Red Bull are at that point at managing their drivers. But It would be great to have a Japanese world champion, though. It would be nice, especially because obviously we're hearing... Uh, no, we have heard that Honda are renewing their sort of support role with Red Bull powertrains. So obviously there'll be the nice link between obviously Honda power, Honda and Honda in the cars as well as having a Japanese driver on the grid. We've got the Japanese Grand Prix hanging around until, I want to say that's 2024, 2025. So there'll be home races for him as well. F1's still got a big presence in Japan, often overlooked as being a big uh, fan country, but huge presence there. A lot of people support the series. Oh, it's, oh, it's mass- massive. Massive. And Honda want to come back as well for 2026, as Honda do in typical Honda fashion. They quit, they come back, they win something, they're going to win something, they quit and they come back. So, you know, there might be something for him further down the line should Honda maybe even create a works team, which would be nice to see. But, yeah, I like Iwasa as well. Sorry, Timo. No, I was just going to say my bold prediction for him is that if we do what Jason says, they will keep him in F2 for another couple of seasons. He then goes to reserve role for 2025. And then he doesn't join Alpha Tauri or Honda for 2026. He joins the brand new works team that is Toyota. Bloody hell, I love that. I was going to say, have Toyota mentioned coming back to F1? Or was that just a crazy creation of yours? Because I was also thinking potentially Toyota. It's, a, it's, it's partly creation, but also I heard it on, mentioned on a couple of other podcasts. And I'm like, ooh, maybe. I, mean, I want to just fan that a bit more and give that a bit more life. Because that would be quite something. Think... Because you've got to think if... Alonso's the person who's got the infinity gauntlet for F1 teams. Stefano Domenicali has definitely got the other glove trying to get new teams into F1. And Toyota is one of the old big dogs that disappeared, unfortunately, and would be great to come back, especially if they've got a Japanese Sadly, I don't think Toyota will ever come back to F1 after their last stint. I think they spent the most money ever, and I think they got the least points returned for most money spent. I think... Well, they know how not to do it, so they can come back and have a proper underdog story yes. and spend not enough money. Yeah, they need to spend more. Um, yes, but Wasser, 
Awasa will get to Earth One, I think, at some point. And I think, you know, I'm, I've fallen in love with with Awasa this season, actually, especially after his drive in Bahrain. Uh, he didn't finish second in the race, but he certainly he started P20 and at one point was running second. Oh, he he did what we saw in F3 over the weekend, essentially, and just went from the back of the grid and then was leading the race at one point and then unfortunately dropped down a bit, but it just immediately showed what a good little driver he is. Yeah, he is fantastic. And I think he's, you know, it's certainly good news, as Jesse said, that Honda have sort of helped and going to support Red Bull further going forward. And with, if they want to come back, that may be perfect for, you know, him and the works, works team, Japanese team, Japanese driver, but... He might fall down into the same trap as Sonoda if he gets promoted too early. I think Sonoda was one year too early. I think they should have kept Albon, Alvatari for 2021 and then promoted Sonoda maybe for this season. But he's certainly got the credentials there. But um, it all depends what Red Bull wants to do with their driver programmes. And they promise, obviously, they, they've promoted loads of drivers over there and then cut them pretty quickly as well. But I certainly could definitely see him in F1. But it also depends what happens with Isaac Hadjar, who for me is going to be one of the hot properties that Red Bull certainly look at. But that is one for another day. But I'm a big fan of Hadjar as well. But yes, Iwasa certainly could get to F1. Not a definite, but he certainly got the credentials, I would say. Another good driver, but sadly one that we are all too familiar with in terms of longevity. I'm going to stick with you you here, Jacob, is Marcus Armstrong. Sprint race winner in Imola in Austria. But again... Uh, he even left the Ferrari Driver Academy. That could be a blessing in disguise in its own way, considering some things. But another one of these drivers, I think, like you were saying about Calamai Lot, just reminds me the same. And nothing wrong with the guy, but it's just I don't see it happening. He's a good driver, not a great driver. And good drivers don't necessarily get to F1 unless you have money or your father's a certain Mr. Stroll. But um, Armstrong won't make it to F1, sadly. Purely and simply because he's obviously left Driver Academy. He's got no affiliation now, but he's a good driver. Obviously, you say there he's won wins. He's won races, sorry, in Imola and Austria. So I certainly, on his day, he certainly can do quite a bit. But he certainly misses that certain... Just that day isn't all that often, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, the gaps between Imola and Austria and sitting ninth in the standings. And I mean, OK, you get more points in a future race, but the fact that Iwas is ahead of him with only one win to his name and is a rookie this season kind of says a lot of that really yeah I, I just can't see where he'd fit in what team would really want him what marketing value he really brings he's not got a he's, yeah he's he's not going to be in F1 there's not really much more I can say on him he's been in there for a long time now he's not got anywhere close to a championship I think 12th in his first season 15th last season and he's you know he's ninth this season in your th- it's, it's improvement but just not enough and for significant stride and I'm going to start going through this list a little bit more with pace, Jesse, because I think there's not an awful lot more to say on some of these drivers, so I'm going to ask you about Dennis Hauger. Sprint race win in Monaco, and he had an absolutely dominant performance in Formula 3 last year, so it's surprising that it took him that long to, to win in Formula 2. Also then got a feature race win in Baku, which was straight away after Monaco, so that was some really great momentum for him, but then kind of dropped off a little bit since then, and... It's Oscar Piastri's kind of done everyone a bad favour by showing that you can go and win F3 and F2 back-to-back. So then when Dennis Helger, who, like I said, was so dominant in Formula 3 last year, struggles a bit, you're kind of already doubting him. Because on the one hand, very impressive. But on the other hand, you're only as good as your last race. So yeah. does he make it? <laughs> yeah, it falls a weird sort of... Weird cut of the rope, really, for Dennis Helger. He's... Piastri did him dirty in some literally... I think Piastri also did F4, then F3, then F2, literally back to back to back. He was 
exceptionally dominant going through the feeder series and we had sort of a strong hint of that with how we're coming through but he's sort of run into a very competitive front end of the f2 field but then you look at the standings and he's not really that close to it we talk about the front end of the f2 field we're talking your drugovic your porsche your sergeant and then there's a gap and in reality if we wanted to even see a bit of that sort of piastri magic we'd see Helga falling you need to gap. win all eight yeah. of the races coming up <laughs> Yeah, to really close up that gap, to at least sort of come home around the 4th, 5th. Even if he came home 4th, yeah, that'd be impressive, but it's not what... It's not going to make you want to put him there next year. No. Another season in F2? Yeah, cool, fine. If you do well in that, potentially people will start looking at him again, but he's... The question for you then is, Jesse, if... Because again, like Jacob was saying earlier, Red Bull Junior Drivers, we've got more of them than we know what to do with... If we're saying that none of the ones we've mentioned so far make it into F1 next year and we potentially have a blank slate for 2024, then do you have um, Hauger and Iwasa? Or do you have Iwasa and Lawson? Or do you have Lawson and Hauger? What do you do? Or do you have one of those as a reserve driver? Which two do you choose for 2024? Or do you leave Hauger in for a third season and just be absolutely Red Bull and Helmut Marko about it and whichever one of the other two finishes lower in the standings in 24 you just fire them I think that third option is A most likely and B most appealing <laughs> possibly Hauger needs a little bit more time perhaps he's sort of too used to driving carts and F3 and F4 and F2 is taking a bit of time for him to get used to and especially there's a bit of divergence between F2 and F3. The gap between the two series is widening significantly over time. I don't know when either one's due their next technical upgrades, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see the gulf between the two series open up a little bit more, especially if F2 becomes significantly more technical. And that won't make things easier for drivers moving up. And again, it will throw in an added challenge as drivers try and sort of stamp their name in F2. So... Uh, I think if I was going to say clean slate Alpha Towery, I would go for Lawson and Iwasa and uh, leave Halga to bake for a little bit longer. So for the sake then of BBC Balance, we're going to mention Yuri Vips. So we have. And then Richard Vashaw, he won a sprint race in Bahrain at the beginning of the year, but since then, eh, he looked very good in Austria and he... I, I'm going to use what everyone else uses for Vettel for Canada in 2019 and say he won that race. Um, the history books say otherwise, but it was a fuel infringement, which is the most bastard of things to lose a race on because that's hardly your fault. Um, and then was my spinner actually for the Budapest round of Formula 2 because of the just pure track limit violations and then failing to take your 10-second stop penalty. Um, correctly and then getting another five second one on top of that um, I don't see it to be perfectly honest Jacob and again nice enough chat but for sure he's not getting there well the short answer is he's he's, he's not going to get there you know we look we go through the checklist you know he's not got an affiliation to a team so that's a sure far away that he's not going to get one his results aren't really good enough this year he's a likable character but likable characters aren't going to land you at mercedes or red bull so for me he's not going to end up there and this you know he might do one more season in f2 but 
I can't really even see that. So. I could see him, like we were saying before, he could go to Elms or Weck or something. I get a an endurance driver feeling from yeah, him. Yeah, maybe even like a DTM, um, something like that, if DTM still... I was going to say, for me, he yeah, screams DT, GT racing. DTM still going strong? But, um, I think it had a bit, of a bit of a reboot, actually, didn't it? I know a few manufacturers pulled out, but I think it's on the way up slightly. It sort of restructured itself. It's done under really high-pressure turbo four cylinders. They sound absolutely wicked, pop, bang, crackling all over the place like the F2 cars. Good series by all accounts, but yeah, for me, Richard Vershaw screams GT racing, I'm afraid. Bang, crackling, pop. Is that how we describe Ralph Boschong's career in F2 now that it doesn't look like it's going anywhere? He's out on injury at the moment, which obviously isn't something you can do a lot about. But at the same time, he... I've lost track of what year this is for him. It's at least his fourth, I think. There was a gap and he came back and he's a very resourceful chap and he's got all kinds of fun sponsorship stories attached to him. Monaco and the crypto guy that he had this year being two examples of that. But third of the feature race in Imola is the best he's had and we've not seen him for a couple of rounds now since before. I think he came back briefly in Silverstone but then was replaced accordingly and he missed a round earlier for that and... Unless there's a miracle over the summer break, I don't see him him coming back for the final four round. Maybe Abu Dhabi, just because that's so long away. But again, as nice as a chap he is, Jacob, is that him done? Ralph Boschong, yeah, that's him done. There's not much really more I can add to that without waffling on. He's never really had a hope of F1, and he certainly hasn't got a hope <laughs> now. So, unfortunately for Ralph Boschong, it's adios. Or whatever. Jesse, are you in agreement there? <laughs> Yeah, if I was anywhere near that, I'd say, Bosch, I'll get your kit, you're going into the locker room, job done, you're out. But I'm afraid that's it. He's, yeah, potentially GT racing. If anything, I can see him being like regional pundit for whichever. Where is he from? I can't remember off the top of my head. I can't remember either, but I can, I can probably say with certainty that he would do that as well. Commentating well, maybe is always. He's, he's, he's Swiss, I don't know. Possibly? Fires up a Google. Hang on a second. Ralph. Switzerland. It'd oh. be illegal for him to comment because they're not allowed to do anything with uh, Yes, he so, is. Swiss racing driver. Sky Swiss or. Whatever. Well, you can open a cheese factory then. Uh, but, 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 I don't know. Oh, you'll probably compete under a slightly different license because, of course, the weird Swiss regulations around motorsport. Uh, I don't know who what license he competes under, but yeah. We'll say we'll set up a yeah. cheese shop. <laughs> Possibly. Really nice chocolate and clocks. Hmm. Which is as smooth a segue as I can get. There isn't really one, but we're just going to work with it. With Clement Novelak, who has best finish of fourth at the future race all the way back in Imola, who I seem to remember earlier on this season impressing me a bit, and then he's just kind of dropped off like a lot. And he's been my spinner a couple of times in earlier episodes. And Jesse, no. Yeah, I'm not too impressed with Clement Novelak this season. A lot of sort of outside the top 10 finishes Emila feature race 4th Barcelona feature race 5th and then uh, Le Castellet 8th place in the feature race it's hardly a stellar series of performances and granted it's difficult when your teammates Felipe Drogovic but at the same time being 13 places below him in the standings like you say isn't exactly a good thing to have on your resume yeah it, it just doesn't stand out as brilliant I mean his 2021 F3 season wasn't terrible but bear in mind this guy came home third in uh, F3 last year like he's a decent driver but uh, I don't know there's just there's something lacking 
or something that hasn't quite clicked so far. I mean, 2019, I think, when he was in British F3, I think he won it with a huge amount of points, like, properly dominated it. But it's just sort of rather tailed off as he's gotten into F2. It's it's the kind of the it, that seems very much the kind of brag that uh, Lance Stroll has about his F three days. It was like, oh, that's all very well and good, but you were yeah. Now, those so early days performances shit. haven't really translated to much. And again, the MP Motorsport car is a good car this season. Drogovic is getting a hell of a lot from it, and you'd expect Novlak to get something. But again, perhaps the Swiss just don't make good racing drivers. Even Grosjean at his Franco Swiss. He's French, isn't he? Yeah, Franco Swiss, similar to Renault Grosjean, which means that he will do all right eventually. Yeah, better in IndyCar. Might catch better in IndyCar. Who knows? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't have high hopes for Novelac. I can't see him making it to F1. I think potentially he'll do like another two seasons of F2 and then eventually knock it on the head. Talking of not catching fire, Jacob, Jake Hughes, his career's kind of not had a spark attached to it too much I'm very much loosely adding that kind of connection there so we've got some kind of linkage fourth at the feature race but it was all the way back in Jeddah nice guy British driver but again doesn't mean that you get a free pass and I think this is his first year in F2 which we've seen people have a really kind of dull first season and then maybe next year he'll be a complete surprise but as of right now because we're probably shouldn't predict the future too, too much. Do you see it happening? And if so, where do you see him going in the future if it is indeed F1? Um, well, it's certainly not going to be F1 for Jake Hughes. And it's actually, um, it's his first, um, <laughs> that was fairly, fairly comprehensive there. That's it, done, podcast <laughs> over. Um, he, it's actually his third, it's his first full season in uh, F2, but he has appeared in 2020 and 2021, and also appeared in 20, uh, F3 at the same time, I think it was that Deleda deal where they all sort of swapped about. Oh, that was yes, they were doing. They had both, that magic HWA yeah. race lab merry-go-round that all got a bit confusing. Um, but he's um, in Van Amersfoort Racing, obviously their first season in F2, and they haven't really proven much yet. But I, they, they've always had a good pedigree in junior racing, so I have high hopes for that team yet. But for Jake Hughes, unfortunately, yeah, he's um, best suited to Formula E. Yeah, he's he, he, I could see him in I don't know Jaguar in Formula E or one of those teams. He just I could that oh that wouldn't be I a could bad see him somewhere like that or. Panasonic Toyota? Am I just quoting random names now from the past that don't make any sense? But Yeah, I think you are. <laughs> yeah, I think Panasonic Toyota is quite an old one from F1. I'll show my age. Um, yeah, he's Formula E all over. And you know, who knows? He could you know, potentially even be up towards the upper echelons of that series. But as far as F1 concerns, Jake Hughes, sorry, buddy, but it's not for you. Talking of ancient Jesse, Roy Nassani's in about his 4,000th year of Formula 2, and whilst he had a fourth place of a sprint race back in Imola, he could have won that race had he not crashed all by himself into the pits, and arguably his more memorable parts are just crashing this year, a la Imola, a la trying to kill Halger at Silverstone with the sausage curbs. It's kind of a weird episode of Cluedo where it's, it was it was Nassani with the sausage curb on, on, on the racetrack. Um, it's a, for me. It's a very much a case of if he didn't have the money backing him, he would have gone a long time ago, and it's the only reason he's still there. Yeah, I fall under the same sort of thing. He's twenty seven. He's older than a lot of F one drivers. He's physically going to have reached his peak a long time before he gets into it. And obviously, if he does get into F one, chances are he's going to be a hell of a lot like his dad was in F one, which is slow at the back and quite inept, really. Um, yeah, his F. His previous years haven't really had anything to show for them. 
F3. He's got one win in Monaco, but that was again a case of a bit like Pastor Maldonado. Like, oh, that's nice. You won a race, but also there's a reason it only happened once. Yeah, I mean, his net results for F2 don't quite crest. What's that? 20, 40, barely even 50 points over four years of racing in F2. Which I think is all you really need to say. This guy isn't making it to F1. 24. Which moves us... Uh, yeah, he's, what's that, 18 plus... 18 at the moment plus 16 takes us to, what, 24... Correct? No, 34. Um, 35... 40. 40 points in total for F2 so far in his career. That is woeful. Over four years, that's, what, 10 points a year? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wonder, how many, wonder how many points he'll get in F2 next year when he's inevitably still hanging around in the series I don't know there's growth he's gone from 1 point to 5 points to 16 this year he's on 18 so far so there's still chance for him to sort of continue this sort of plotted line but so, Nisani 2023 championship here we come lads uh, I'm not counting on it he hasn't won a championship at all actually in any of his feeder series things um, <laughs> not even in karting he says peering at his the entire record, yeah. Which is as good a segue as any to leading us to our next person, which is a weird one because he's already made it to F1 and now he's back in F2 because he didn't really make it in F1. And that's Roberto Mary, who's sitting in for Ralph Boshing at the moment. And he came third at the absolutely bonkers feature race in Austria, which saw penalties left, right and centre. And he was second and then got to five second penalty and still ended up in third because of all the other just genius wizardry from the from the stewards um which is jacob and i can probably attest to we should probably start our own podcast just along that um there'll be a lot of swearing and no we won't leave it out um he's kind of made it ready but he's not gonna make it back if nisani's 27 mary's at least the same age if not Older. He's 31. He's going to Google 31, that. yeah. Yep, 31. And kind of makes you question why the hell he was even called into it. He's like, okay, safe pair of hands, but really you don't want to give that to another driver um, and give him a bit of an opportunity there. So, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Regretfully, it's not a T-shirt that you want. Like, on the one hand, you get to say you're an F1, but it's kind of, yeah, you're kind of... If we ever do another episode of Pointless F1, Jesse, he will be one of those. Oh, dogs. certainly a, a driver to have partaken in any F1 race from 2010 to 2020. He he counts. He had that 2015 season with Marussia where he was pig slow, really. I mean, the car didn't help. Marussia was absolutely dire at the time. But, yeah. I mean, the, the, the worst thing is when you look him up on Wikipedia, the picture of him, it looks like a Hispanic Nick Jagger. It's not a flattering image of him either. <laughs> But yeah, 31 years old, somehow back in F2, oldest driver on the grid. Yeah, he's decent, but uh, I mean, Campos is not brilliant, but yeah, I don't know. Mixed opinions. Well, to be be fair to him, he'll do what not many drivers on that list will do and actually make it to F1. So he's got that over everyone else. But will he make it back? Definitely not. And his career has been an absolute roundabout. He started off in all the junior categories and made it to GP3, which is what now is F3 in 2010. So really showing his age, finished sixth place there. They went to DTM, then went to Formula Renault, then into Formula One, DTM. They went to LMP2, 24 hours of Le Mans, and then ended back up in 
F2 before going to Euro Le Mans and then back to F2. So, you know, he, he needs to take off Formula E, IndyCar and um, NASCAR or other series like that to complete the complete the set. But um, There's stock racing in us, I think. Yeah, stock racing, rally cars, who knows? I mean, um, he's had the racing career you would expect of someone from the 1950s or 60s where you used to just be able to bounce from whatever series you wanted to with the exact same car. Just take it along and go, this is my racing car. What am I racing in? We can put you in Aurora class. Okay, I'll do that for this week, and then I'll perhaps go and do the Indy 500 next week, and then I'll go and do, I don't know, something in South America, and then I'll go and do this British Grand Prix, all with one car. And that seems to have been his weird mentality, is just simply bounce from motorsport to motorsport doing things, and by and large not very well overall. At the very least, he might get an interesting book out of it. Oh yeah, this guy's got um, stories to tell down the pub, certainly. Brings us on to Ollie Caldwell, who's got a best finish this season of sixth in the future race back in Austria, Jacob. We know him from his F3 days, and I know we're quite near the end of the list now, but it's kind of, I wouldn't want to rule him out of an F1 future, just because he strikes me as one of the only two drivers left on this list who would be a bit of a wild card on there, and maybe, as like Jesse was saying earlier about a couple of other drivers, a one-season seat warmer for someone else. I don't know where that would be because it's just too soon to tell. It'd be at least another two years before he even gets into that territory, but what do you reckon? Um, out of the names you have mentioned previously, the last sort of five or six names, he's got more of a chance than them. I'm going to say no purely and simply because, you know, as we know, there are 20 seats and about a 1,000 drivers trying to fill them, and unless, you know, Andretti come along or Porsche or whoever else come along and try to fill the grid, we're not going to see the likes of the uh, the tail enders of the, the Formula 2 Championship getting into F1, but he's certainly shown he has talents. Last year, he he had an okay season with Prima. Obviously, he finished eighth in the Prima, which is not the best, but he picked up a few wins in Barcelona, I think it was, maybe the Red Bull ring as well, and a few other podiums along the way. But this season, he's picked up, what we're looking at here, and we know it's eight points, so not too good. But he's driving a Campos, which is you know not the best car. It's not too not inspiring. The best setup team there in F two, but yeah, he could come in for um you know down the line. Who knows? He's only twenty. Time is on his side. So five years time, who knows where he'll be? But it's one of those, isn't it? Is he going to be an F one? But I'm probably going to say no. But you can't rule it out. But I'm going to sit on the oh on the side of caution and say no, he won't. Not that we're playing for points or anything, but Jesse. <laughs> Are you going to go the well, we'll, other we'll do way? The, we'll do some predictions game later, I think, actually, and we're in 10 years' time we'll come back to this and we'll tot up one point for every driver we got their future right on. Yeah, I'm going to go the other way with Ollie Caldwell. I can see him doing possibly a season at Alpine or Renault, whatever they decide to call themselves by that point in time. Probably the problem is he's... A, yeah, back to Lotus or whatever, or catering for a short period of time, Christ knows. Um, but the fact is I can see him doing one season with them. Because obviously he's an academy driver of theirs. The problem is he's up against a Jack Doohan going forwards. Um, but equally behind him, you've got Victor Martin's Kyle Collette as well. So he could potentially... And David Pulling. Oh, and David Pulling now as well. Yeah, shoot, yeah. Who could leapfrog all of them? That's the dangerous thing. So he has got essentially three other drivers, plus Jack Doohan ahead of him, that are forming quite a boisterous queue. And... I think he might get fortunate and get to spend a year as a seat warmer for Abby Pulling. There's a prediction. Before she comes in and proves the ultimate pace that she can deliver in an F1 car. And I think that will be something spectacular indeed. She's done a lot of tests with older Alpine chassis or Renault chassis, RS18s and stuff. And she's looked quick and very at home in the car. So it's, it's a matter of time until essentially an Alpine seat opens up 
and he seat warms or even then I'm going to err on the side of caution and say seat warms but I'm not hyper confident in it because I can see Alpine Renault very quickly shuffling pulling into that spot Marino Sato then best finish of eighth twice in a sprint race and feature race in Jeddah and Becker respectively I think we're not going to spend too much time here seems like an alright kind of guy but he's not going to make it is he no simple as that no <laughs> no fair enough Jesse yes no maybe um he is. That's it. He could well be our generation's Taki way. If he makes it to F one, it's going to be a back. See, of the I already group. can't remember have... who that is. So Taki Inoue was from. Oh Christ! I want to say the nineteen eighties. He was the one at the Hungara ring that got run over by the safety car when his. Uh, <laughs> That's not a good break. Fire. He jumped out of the car, got a fire extinguisher with one of the marshals, and as he's running back across the grass to put out the fire in the back of his car. The safety car arrives, locks up on the grass and knocks him on it over. Iconic scenes. <laughs> very very um, Monty Python. I think he also at one point crashed into the back of a car that was towing him off the circuit or it very nearly beheaded him or something went truly wrong. But yeah, the fun stories of Taki Inoue, I can see potentially Marino Sato unfortunately heading down that exact same line of just Japanese wackiness and I, I will then change that and Marino Sato will make it into F1 but by way of a feature film where he plays this man and they're doing a biopic on his life. Yes, something along those lines. But yeah, I mean, oh, I was trying to just another brilliant um, Taki Inoue story, I think it was. I can't remember what it was, but it can't be that important. We'll save it for another yeah, time. It, I'll save it for another time. It'll come back. But yeah, it's... Um, that was it. Um, Taki Inoue only said that the only reason he survived F1 through the 80s when the cars were sort of 1,000 horsepower turbocharged weapons, he said the only reason he survived was simply because he drove so slowly it never actually came off to boost <laughs> and spam off. <laughs> so, yeah, there we are. We'll move on. 21st on our list, Kalen Williams. You were about to introduce him before I cut you off. Yes, fourth in the sprint race back in Jeddah and is the last person on this list who, well, spoilers in advance, I think could actually make it. I don't have any numbers to back it up with. It's just a feeling. He's Australian, if I'm not mistaken, and he's for for a part of the world where it's notoriously difficult to actually get sponsors on your side. He seems to have drummed up quite a bit of them from that neck of the woods, and at the very least, on a PR side of things, seems to be ticking all of the boxes for what to do to make sure that you keep getting people's attention and making sponsors happy, which. For a driver where he's relatively young still, maybe he's doing just what he needs to ensure that he has longevity so that he can just make sure that if and when an opportunity presents itself, even if it's just for a season, he can take it and at least then he would be an F1. Maybe I could see him, I mean, I'm basing off their current positions in the constructors, somewhere near the back, maybe a Haas, maybe a Williams and just one season all or nothing um and then at least it's up to him and it's not too much the money won't be as much of a factor in him continuing there um disagree with me if you dare people he won't be an f1 is what i'm gonna say if you look at his f3 results he had two full seasons there and got a combined 15 points first season he finished 31st 
That's still nearly half of what Nisani's got in all of uh, his two years. So yeah, and he's, there is hope yet. Um, this season he's got six points, and before that he didn't do much in junior categories either. So for me, he's going to end up in Australian V8s, and he'll appear at the Australian Grand Prix, but in the pre-show before the actual Grand Prix. So technically, he'll be on an F1 grid, but not in F1. So that's as far as he'll go, in my opinion. But hopefully he proves me wrong, because I'm such a pessimist. No, I'm siding with Jacob on that one. He's appearing on an F1 grid, but he's doing the sort of um, demonstration laps in a V8 Aussie supercar around Albert Park. I'm afraid it's uh, he'll drive not a he'll drive like an Alan Jones sort of car, or he'll drive Weber's car, or he'll do the um, podium interview sort of thing. That's as far as he'll go. He'll do a Mark Weber and interview the drivers before they go into the cool down room. That's as far as he'll go. I don't think he's. No, I don't think he'll even get no, that no, far. No, no. no. Because obviously, <laughs> you look at your Mark Webbers and Alan Jones. They won races. Yeah, they, they were. Prominent. You don't hear about old F two drivers these no. days. That's the thing. Uh, apart well, from really the exception of Roberto Mary and Roy Nassani, but yes. <laughs> yeah, apart from really them and Christian Horner to an extent, but obviously he found the loophole of just becoming a team principal. Maybe that's what. Maybe we'll see Kevin Williams as a team principal for a new Australian based team. Uh, yeah, we haven't considered any of these people for team principals yet. Mainly because I can't imagine half of them in those kind of positions. <laughs> no. Maybe Yuki. Is, is a team principal for Honda, and he then hires a Yumo Iwasa. Hang on, hang on, we've forgotten someone. I mean, we've still got three people, but all right. No, 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 further up the list. Who did we forget? You scroll back up your list and tell me who, you've, who we've forgotten. I think we've covered everyone, no? No, we've forgotten someone. We forgot. I think we've covered I'm, everyone. I ju- Unless you're thinking about... Enzo Fittipaldi. Oh, oh shit, yeah. my god! Fourth in the championship. I, I thought Daruvla was too high up. I was going to say he's not the fourth best. Is you surely? Oh, I must have missed that when I was writing my oh, list earlier. God, that there was a bit. I was going. I'm sure Baby Shark's not in F three. I'm not. I'm not tripping. <laughs> oh, that's awkward. Oh, well, you know what? We'll edit. You can edit round this, and we'll save the best for last. Then it would seem smooth. No, I'm leaving this in, otherwise it will make no context <laughs> as to why we get to Amory Cordial and then immediately jump back to... That's doing Fittipaldi a great disservice being mentioned the same sentence there as Cordial. Uh, yeah, it's dragging Enzo Fittipaldi down. Should anyway, we talk we'll about get to him Enzo... now then, or do we wait until the end? We'll give him a special podium as an apology for forgetting about him. Um, so I think we'll we can probably one. tackle the next three in one go then. We've got David Beckman, who's got a best of eighth in a future race in Emelov. But to be fair to him, he's not been in for much of this season because he just keeps subbing in for people. Chen Bolabasi, 11th future race in Monaco. Best finish for him. And Amari Cordial, 13th in Baku and Budapest, respectively. But he also had a race ban at Silverstone because he's a muppet. And Beckman, too early to tell because he should just really still be an F3 and he should focus on that. Chen Bolabasi... Get back to games, mate. You should have maybe gone into F3 first if you are going to try this, but it's a bit ambitious, I think. And a lot of people were quite excited about it, but eh, nah, sod off. And Cordial. Chamberlain <laughs> Bassi could have done with a bit more driving, yeah. Jacob's diplomatic language, as always. There'll be some beeps in there. And Amory Cordial, again, pretty pretty goddamn terrible. The, uh... Yeah, it's it's it was an interesting experiment with Bobby Bassey, but uh, the only memorable thing we have from him is his dad and Nissani's dad fighting <laughs> in battle. Yeah. Which, yeah, if that's, that's what you're remembered for, then you're probably not due for F1. 
Yeah, not great. So <sighs> that brings us to, and we definitely didn't forget about him, despite what you may have already heard. Enzo Fittipaldi is the no, last no, 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 no. It wasn't Bollockbassi's dad. It was Cordiel's dad, wasn't it? No. I thought Bollockbassi was in there somewhere. I think it was a. No, Bollockbassi. It was Bollockbassi's dad that wasn't allowed into the Silverstone paddock. That was it. I was looking at the racing results, wondering why did no, Bollockbassi contest Silverstone? Yeah. It yeah. was his dad that was disallowed from the paddock. But anyway, yes, moving on to someone who we really shouldn't have forgotten because they're having a bit of a wicked season all of a sudden. Um, three podiums, no, four podiums so far, sorry. Enzo Fittipaldi. How did you miss him when you wrote the notes? I genuinely don't know. This is on you, Timo, honestly. It is, shocking. and I apologise, Enzo. You're a lovely little chap, and I honestly think you will get to F1, and I think it's going to be with Hass. I think the same thing, yeah. I think his brother is almost bitten the bullet and done a lot of the footwork and the groundwork for him, but there'll be a seat that will come up. I was was saying recently, Jacob, to to Jesse, that I think the only way they will both be in the team at the same time is if we get a Sakia 2020-style Grand Prix, where, for whatever reason, it's just mental, and that way we can have Fittipaldi and Fittipaldi racing for Hatch, and if Crofty is still commentating by that point, that will finish him off in terms of confusion, and he'll be carted off back to the old people's home. Where he needs to yeah. sadly belong for the rest of time, but that is a story for another day. Um, Fittipaldi, <laughs> I would love to see him in F1 actually. Obviously, we've seen his brother, as you say, Sakir 2020 in Abu Dhabi 2020. I think Enzo is the better Fittipaldi compared to Pietro, and he's certainly come a long way since the start of the season. He had five scoreless races with the best score of 11th place, I think, at Jeddah. Before we moved on to Imola, where he got a surprise podium, and since then, the podiums are no surprise at all because he's picked up about five. And, you know, he probably should have won in Hungary as well, or won the race at least. So I've really loved his work. He's consistent. He's fourth in the championship. Um, so, yeah, why, why, why not have him in? Personality-wise, you know, personality personality and with the nickname and everything, he does kind of remind me of Yoshi. A little bit, yeah. Like, he's got that kind of happy-go-lucky, but I'm actually quite good at this driving malarkey kind of attitude. Yeah. I mean, look, he's scored 100 points so far this season, which means that in one season of uncompleted Formula 2, he's scored twice the amount that Nassani's scored over four seasons. But also, when you look at his scoring streak, every race that he's finished, bar Silverstone feature race, he's scored points in. So that's a pretty good track record to hold, really, when it comes to F2, literally sort of always being in the points when you're finishing, apart from one race in the past. What's that for 12 or so which is 14 even so that's not bad and again his form is good his pace is good we just need to see a race win from him and I think that will really um, sort of set in stone the fact that he is going to another couple of years in F2 maybe and then I could see I could see him replacing Magneton that's what I was thinking I don't know who will replace Schumacher but I know that I can see Magneton doing perhaps another year well we could totally have Sergeant and Fittipaldi then for 2025. Sergeant Fittipaldi at Haas. That's that's interesting. I like the sound of that. Apart yeah. from Pietro, I don't think Haas have anyone else in their driver academy. It does surprise me that Enzo's not in there as well. Is anyone? Is any news on maybe why he won't be in there? Or it just surprised me that he wasn't when I was doing. No, I think it's just well. not happened yet. I think maybe it's just we'll see. One Fittipaldi at a time is enough. Yeah. Uh, we've got four more rounds this season left after some break we've got three back to back with Spa, Monza and Zandvoort and then we've got an incredibly long wait before Abu Dhabi and 
we may circle back to this in our Formula 2 season review, which I'm sure we will do at some point, probably after Abu Dhabi, because it would be silly to do it before then. And we can then see if we want to make any adjustments to any of our thoughts here today. So to sum up then, because I want to get this all written down, and Jesse, yes, I can already see that you're on the document there, hovering over. Um, you can make sure that this was all etched in stone. I'm just going to go through and say who I think is going to make it into F1. We just want some names for this. We don't need all of it. We just want to see if, it's, if they actually get there. So, oh, for chair, sergeant. I'll let, oh, oh, we'll we'll talk to write yours as we go. Yes, yes. That's why I was being, not rushing through it so you can keep up with this. And then Lawson and Dewan. Iwasa and Helga. And then I think Williams and Fittipaldi. That's, that's who I think. Who are you going for there, Jesse? Drogovic, I've already seen you've written. Drugovic, Porsche, this is me trying to remember back to what we started on at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, Sergeant, definitely. Um, Fittipaldi, I know I've definitely sort of backed him. Uh, Lawson, I reckon we could see him appear at an Alpha Tauri seat at some point in time. Doohan, definitely. Iwasa, um, for certain. Halga, I think I was, wasn't quite certain on Halga. I think I'm going to leave him off my list for a bit. Ooh. Williams... I'm not quite as convinced on. I'm just I'm doing what I do every other episode and make a banging prediction that if I write, I look like an absolute hero. So I think that's where my list ends. Drugovic, Porcher, Sergeant Fittipaldi, Lawson, Duan, and Iwasa, although I spent Duan, Duchna. And you've also spelled Sergeant two different ways, but yes. Um, one of them's going to be correct. <laughs> Jacob, your list is arguably going to be the shortest out of the three of us, I think. Yeah. Um, so I've, who are you choosing? I think I've swung the axe quite vigorously and got chopped a few of the names off here, but um That's why we brought you here. I know. We needed this. Um Porsche is going to get to F1. Sergeant is going to get to F1. I'm gonna think slightly outside the box here and say Liam Lawson might not necessarily get to F1, but he's the reserve driver for Red Bull and let's say Max Verstappen gets COVID and has to replace him for a round. Does that count? Can I have that? That counts. Okay. Okay, so Liam Lawson's getting to F1 at some point. Uh, Vesti, I said no. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say yes to doing Iwasa just because Iwasa, and I actually said it should be a T-shirt. I said Iwasa because Iwasa. I said last year on another podcast that we did um, that Hauger was going to be in Alpha Tower by 2024, but I've slightly cooled that prediction. You need to stick to that, don't so, you? Um, do you know what? You make your bed, I'm going to lie on it, so I'm going to have to say Hauger now. And looking down the list, there is no one else um, I can see making it to F1. But we do like a wacky prediction on this no, podcast. No, no Fittipaldi for you? Oh, Fittipaldi, yeah, of course. I forgot about Fittipaldi. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've all made a habit. See, it's easily night. done, Jesse. It's easily done. I'm going to say yes, just simply because out of sympathy, he's a good driver, but also we missed him off the list. So I hope you get to F1. If you're watching this, I'm really sorry that you got missed off the list. And wacky prediction, because I'm on this podcast and we love a wacky prediction, I'm going to choose someone random off this list. Number 15, Jake Hughes. Why not? <laughs> Might not actually be that wacky, but you never know. I was going to say Cordell, but that's why we like think, it. Um, <laughs> that's that's, that's suicidal. So yeah, not not going with Cordell. 
Uh, and on I think Cordill is more likely to be banned from Formula 1 before he gets to a stage where he can even approach entering <laughs> Formula 1. Bad Beth, why the paddock? Who knows at this uh, point? Christ. He gets a penalty no, in his final no F2 knows. race that if he ever enters F1, he's already started like a 20-place grid penalty. <laughs> it would be like when Sebastian Vettel uh, got the record for fastest time in a career to own penalty points, which was speed mm-hmm. in the pit lane in his first F1 appearance. Uh, Iconic yeah. things. Uh, just Sebastian Vettel things. Uh, and on that bombshell, we will finish this almost feature-length podcast that went on for a lot longer than we thought it would. But you're welcome, because you don't have that much F2 stuff out there. So, you know, we're doing you a favour. Um, that is pretty much all we have time for. We've got some wacky predictions in there. We'll come back at some point and see how right or wrong we were on these things. And when Roy Nassani is indeed world champion for the third time in a row, we will know to all eat our hats. Um, but in the meantime, Jesse, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me all over Instagram, Twitter. Obviously, I've got the Undercut Podcast Twitter account as well. That's my little baby to the Irish treasure. So if you want to go and shout at us about our wrong predictions here, that's where to find us. Equally, I'm across Instagram and Twitter with my personal accounts. And if you like print media, you can uh, buy Classic Car Weekly and read about all of my antics with classic cars. I think next week, which will be probably about the time this goes out to print, I'll be driving a Lancia Delta Integrale Evoluzione 1 and an Austin Healey 3000. So it's a tough life being me. It really is. But you know who's got it even tougher? Jacob. Uh, Where can people find you? People can find me around the country, dotted around several cities in several different pubs, or on Twitter at JacobPhil18 if you want to see me rant at stewards or rant at any other decisions in the F1 world, which is normally a weekly occurrence. Is all worth following him on TikTok, actually, just briefly, because he does one post a year, but it is quite funny. And you should check out this year's post that he did, yeah. because it was... Charles I won't spoil it for you, just go and find him. I'm not going to spoil it, guys. Check me out on TikTok. <laughs> I'm going to go find him on TikTok. But speaking of ranting at stewards, did you see the steward that hit one of the photographers at Hungary? No, but I'm glad you brought this up in our final moments, so do tell <laughs> I don't know why I brought it up at this closing moment as opposed to on a Hungarian Grand Prix review because it completely slipped my mind. But one of the photographers, like an official photographer, he's wearing his trackside tabard and everything, uh, was just trying to get to a shooting location around the circuit across the weekend. And one of the basically hired muscle at the Hungara ring just sort of flatly refused to let him go where he needed to go and slapped him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Well. Top tier stuff in the Hungara ring. So there's always a little bit of drama there, isn't there? Um, talking of drama, which, yeah, there's a connection. Let's go with it. Because I write dramatic pieces full of gravitas, and that's the connection. We're going to go with that. Um, Not that you did GCSE drama. No, and you can't prove it. Um, I can be found over on Is It Fast with lots of lovely interviews and articles and all that fun stuff. And then I've got a bunch of video interviews over on On The Curbs, which anyone and everyone from Motorsport World, you name it, they're probably nearly there, if not already there. Paddock Sorority, also just a nice little feature stuff there. And I am, of course, over on the Nitro RX podcast, where we are having a lot of, lot of fun. Uh, So go and check that out. We'll probably have at least one or two episodes, which would brand new by the time this comes out, for you to listen to. Both reviews from the Swedish round and a nice driver interview. So who doesn't love that? And we will be back with another fun summer break episode focused on the world of Formula One very, very soon. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that one. In the meantime, I have been Team Overs Daily. These two have been Jesse Billington and Jacob Phillips. And we will see you next time.